Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Miss Purrington. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our monthly Comedy Wham showcase at Hobson Time in Lakeway on first Tuesdays. And as we approach our sixth anniversary and my personal 200th interview, I'm excited to announce that on Wednesday, January 19th at Fallout Theater, I'm going toe-to-toe with my good friends Brendan K. O'Grady and Duncan Carson of Sure Thing Records for my anniversary chat. Have you checked out our newly renovated events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and now DFW? If you're a comic in those cities and want to have your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. And if you like the new survey, send us a quick review and we'll share your review and promo your show on Instagram. We've also joined Patreon. You can search for Comedy Wham on Patreon and check out ways that you can support what we do here at Comedy Wham. And we've got some fun treats for subscribers. And you can also PayPal or Venmo us. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, we are talking to the self-titled The Dumpster Fire of Austin Comedy. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if that title still holds, but, you know, she gave herself the title. Uh, She joined us on our online 2020 isolation comedy shows, cooking up all sorts of fun concoctions. She is the host of Banana Phone Open Mic at the Creek in the Cave, where heckling is allowed, permitted, encouraged. We'll find out um, soon. She's the co-host and co-creator of Backyard Sluts with our good friend Ariel Isaac Norman. And she's a recurring guest on one of my favorite local podcasts, The Fart Locker with JT Kelly. And she is my 198th interview and is here to kick off 2022. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Candace Medina. Hello. Hi. <laughs> what so a, understated. What a great, like, what a great introduction. You know, it's like sometimes you like forget all the things that you do, and then you're like, oh yeah, I guess I am. I'm not worthless. You know, no. <laughs> that's fun. Thank you. That's really well well researched. I like it. Thank you. Well, you know, all I have to do is look at the events page and see the shows that you do. That's a good point. That is very valid. That's true. Um, yeah, the dumpster fire of Austin comedy. That is so funny because uh, when I was a really new comic and I got added on to do five one two, I didn't have like a bio, so uh-huh. I was like, "Is this cool?" Like <laughs> the dumpster fire. And I feel like that's pretty accurate uh, for my style of comedy, especially yeah. when I was a newer comic. Like very all over the place. Very um, just I don't know. I miss I miss me hmm. back when I don't know. Like I didn't have any expectations and it was kind of just like like for myself and it was yeah. just like really cute but it's funny because i was uh when i was on tour this summer with um 
Martin Henn and Colton Dallin, Andre Ricks. Um, we went, we stopped through a zoo bar in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I don't know how, because when I Google myself, I never, this never pulls up, but even he was like, and didn't even know other credits, just a dumpster fire of Austin comedy. I was like, oh, gosh. I don't know if I want to be known that yeah. nationwide, but you know what? It's, there are worse things. So yeah. I guess that's pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. Well, it's, you know, you're going to be in for a ride. It's contained, so it's technically safe. (laughs) (laughs) Technically safe. I don't know. I'm going to have to research dumpster fires because I feel like, man, you could burn a lot in those things. But, yeah, who knows? It's catchy. It's catchy. That's cute. Yeah, I did a good job. I'm happy to have it. I'll probably have to modify that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Candice, welcome to – we're going to, you know – Open up the or reveal the curtains. Open up the curtains. I don't know. Oh, We're recording I'm not going to reveal December. my curtains yeah. to you, Valerie. They <laughs> don't, don't know you like that. Uh. We're re- recording it in December of 21, but we're imagining that mm. we're in January of 2022. Yeah. And now we're even gonna gonna fuck up the timeline even more Beautiful. because I'm gonna open up with my my icebreaker question, which is one word to describe your past. busted <laughs> tumultuous i guess one of those two uh not good <laughs> it's not it's not gonna be a positive uh word to describe that it, that's the only way yeah i mean it's what led me to comedy is just being so broken <laughs> oh, it's gonna sound and you think if we delve into my curtains uh i think you're gonna find that it's gonna sound a lot of this will sound really sad but i think it just heightens how much comedy has saved my life mm. i think um, in the ultimate long run of things. Um, but yeah, the tumultuous are broken. I mean, either. Great. Okay. Tumultuously well. broken. <laughs> so I did a little homework. Oh, God. And uh, I I looked on a professional website. And are you, it has that you're an Aggie. Oh, that is true. That's true. I did you do that. You have a psychology degree. I do. That is also true. So technically, you have great insights into people. People always assume that. Uh, <laughs> no, I just, um, I really don't. I, I guess I, I read people well, but mm. the psychology degree, um, I barely got it. Uh, <laughs> I was very not well back then. Still not, but especially back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got, I changed my major a lot in college. I, I, I'm a very passionate person, so I had multiple majors and was kind of just doing what I thought would, you know, mo- interested me most. I didn't really think about vocationally what I was going to do. So yeah, I got my psych degree, but I don't do shit with it. Um, but it was, it was nice to like kind of skate by, um, which is like kind of how I get by in life. Uh, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I do have a psychic. That's true. I have a minor in anthropology, not to flex. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot about shipbuilding. Uh, not a lot, a little bit. Wait, what? What? Yeah. Ha- what? Okay, so <laughs> as I said, um, I just I I really do just do things that interest me, and it uh-huh. confounds a lot of people um, because I don't I don't really think about consequence or uh, I think about consequence now. I used to not think about consequence or the future as much kind of just like living in the moment and like what I wanted to do so at the time in college um I started with a bio major which I um, people assume when you switch majors like that you're not smart enough I was actually really good at it uh, I love science always been great at it it was just something that just was um unfulfilling because I could just walk into a test and just do all like do right for myself like I didn't go to 
uh, organic chemistry class pretty much at all. And I uh, still, I got a C, which is pretty oh, wow. good for never going. And, yeah, um, that's a tough class. Yeah. And everyone like, it's so hard. And I was like, is it though? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess it could be. Uh, I had a, she was a cool professor. She was hard though. Anyways, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, but no, it was because I was unfulfilled. I felt like there was something missing or I just wasn't interested. It was like, because science makes so much sense to me. It's yeah. just literally plug and go. Like it, it's nothing. I mean, there's are very interesting things that happen and I learned a lot, but I definitely wanted to do a different thing. So I switched to anthropology and because of the first class that I was, um, very interested in uh, the human experience and like understanding like so uh, society, but human evolution and just humans in general. I think was very interested. It was the first time I had ever tapped into that because mm-hmm. I um, I uh, didn't really know a lot. I actually, I mean, I'm having just I, my brain does it works. <laughs> if you know, if you ever listen to my comedy, you're gonna know that I take a lot of leaps in logic, uh-huh. and um, this is how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> so in my mind, I'm like, this is makes a lot of sense on this roadmap I'm taking. But I'm gonna try to t- take you on it with me. But um, yeah, like I mean. Uh, Essentially, like going into college, I was the first kid to go to college in my family. I didn't. I'm. I was so ignorant. It's not being dumb. It's just that you have no idea what's out there in terms of like um, education or like jobs or whatever. My parents are both uh, blue collar collar people, and um, I just had no idea. So going to college, I was like, you could either be like your 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 options for majors were biology, <laughs> business, like. <laughs> teaching that was like I didn't realize that you could do so many things and there's so much to learn so I was just on crack basically and my like just being so invigorated by knowledge like I'm I'm driven intensely about I just love to learn I think it's the biggest thing um and so yeah I was just super attracted to anthropology the first time I was like holy shit like I've never heard of any of this like I didn't even know like this was a thing like you know so I got into it I only did that for half a semester before psychology really took me on I think it's because I was so mentally unwell for most of my Mm -hmm. life that it was the one time that I felt like maybe I can figure out what the fuck is going on um and it was actually really cool and I got my bachelor of science in psychology and I kept my minor in anthro and the the shipbuilding thing now I made it back (laughs) we did it um (laughs) good god I need help um, you know, we, uh, I just was like, okay, this sounds very neat. Um, cause I had already taken a lot of like, uh, biological anthropology, which is like evolution. Um, and, uh, those kind of classes and stuff. And then I saw that there were courses like ships and shipwrecks of the Americas, oh Romans, Vikings, and Arabs. And it was all taken from the same professor who's really cool dude. Um, and it was his, from his perspective, cause he's a maritime archeologist. We actually had a mar- really great maritime archeology span program at a wow. uh, little known fact. Um, and so everything was from that perspective. So, you know, whenever we were learning about, you know, uh, Romans and Vikings and Arabs, it was actually the history of the Mediterranean from the perspective of like shipbuilding technology and like what those did to help like fuel these societies. But it, I mean, you know, we learned about everything else too, but I learned like mortise and tenon joints, like different things about the two major, two main Viking ships and why they're so successful, like all sorts of stupid stuff and like, <laughs> you know, mercantiles in Italy, like stuff like that. So, you know, the usual, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, that's that. I don't know. That's basically it. All right. So now we're going to go further into the Wayback Machine. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> How much time? You know this. You've already, this is one question and we're 15 know, minutes in. No, I'm so scared. You're so fucked. No. <laughs> uh, you, you said that, uh, comedy, uh, yes, we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, comedy saved your life. Right. Uh, 
So that means if you've only been doing comedy a few years. Correct. Going back to before college, mm-hmm. what role? <laughs> Thank you, Miss Purrington. Dude, I feel that Miss Purrington. Oh, she doesn't like closed doors, oh. and uh, my my roommate's door is closed, so she's very unhappy. Dude. And there you go, happy twenty twenty two. Because usually the last few episodes, she's been completely quiet. You know what? So. We're about to wreak havoc <laughs> in the world. This groundbreaking episode of Candace Medina, That's the Dumpster right. Fire of Austin comedy. So we need to change it up with uh, Miss Purrington, yeah. uh, really making her debut. Yeah. Uh, okay, what role, if any, did did comedy, whether you know watching or, or co- being the cut up of the family, what role did comedy have for you growing up? I think ultimately comedy was uh, a way for me to do multiple things. It was a way for me to fit in. Um, it was a way for me to hide like whatever was going on with me. It was a way for um, me to kind of get by in life and be liked and. Uh, you know, get through a lot, I think, is the biggest thing. Um, making connections with people and things like that. Like, I talk about being able to read people well, and I think it's just, it became necessary mm-hmm. as a, at a really young age to be able to read people because um, I didn't really have a great childhood. Um, it was actually not chill. <laughs> and, like, nothing really crazy happened. It was just, you know... Circumstances of inherited trauma by, like, my own parent and things like that. And so, um, you know, being kind of, like, left alone and... I mean, I I say neglected. It sounds really fucked up, but it's true. And, like, the way that I was treated. So, like, I kind of had to use comedy to try to find a way. It was the one time that I could get people to like me Mm -hmm. and feel valued and um, feel that, like, really short-lived, like, sense of acceptance or love that I was so heavily seeking and um it played a big role on my dad's side so my mom is uh who raised me and my dad was still part of my life um in limited capacity and that's a whole other can of worms i really can't i don't know we can talk about it but it's just it's a, you know he's my best friend now but it's you know i was um i was definitely lied to when i was a kid about his willingness to be my parents so like that but who knows whatever who cares um but his side of the family who i really didn't get to see much was is the or like the group of funniest people mm. and it's so weird how truly humor can be genetic i truly and like that is that is a fact but also like you know hanging around my dad and stuff like that true was probably helpful my brother i got my sense of humor from him too but my dad's side of the family everybody like all of them are just savages yeah you don't like if you want to bring up something serious we will break the ice with something like really fucked up yeah. or like what it doesn't matter what happened like we will just talk mad shit and um it's the one thing that i really enjoy and i get to, whenever i do get to hang out with them it just feels so natural because i don't have to hide anything i don't have to pretend to not be myself because they get it and i can be as savage as i want and mm-hmm. it's not going to hurt anyone's feelings um so i mean those are the ways that like Comedy really, I mean, it was a tool to get by um, and kind of like hide, <laughs> hide behind, you know, and like, I don't really like not let people close to me, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like kind of a deflection. I use it a lot. I mean, even to this day, I'm getting better about it, but I, I've been a loner my whole life, like, a, like on purpose, like it's a purposeful mm-hmm. role that I like to play, like just being the lone wolf. It's easier to move yeah. by myself, like be a, like a singular unit in the universe without having to you know, tie myself to anything. So yeah, it makes me slippery, which is good. Yeah. So class clown level, family yeah. cut up. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't the family cut up. Uh, Cause, uh, you know, eh, 
you know, my dad's side, we were, we were always really having a good time. I think my mom's side, it was a little bit more difficult because they couldn't, one, I was treated really poorly. Um, and in comparison to my brother, it's just the two of us. And he was, um, treated a little bit, you know, uh, like the, like a King, he's, um, different. And I, kind of got the short of the stick a lot of the times and uh, like their their perception was that I was a bitch or like whatever mm. and it's just like they just didn't get me. Like, they didn't understand my sense of humor. Um and in school, like yeah, like I was definitely the class clown. Um which didn't really get me in too much trouble. I think a lot of my teachers saw that it was like I had like some sort of level of intelligence that was outside of just like being stupid or like yeah. saying stupid things. It was kind of more I don't know, it's it helped me make a lot of friends in the teacher realm, I guess you could say. Like, there was a lot of teachers that were helpful in keeping me, like, in school or, like, you know, not dead. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a helpful tool for me. I still use it to this day. It's the easiest way for me to make connection with people. And now that I'm older, I've kind of, like, been able to hone that skill so it's not as abrasive Mm -hmm. because I am ultra sarcastic and ultra dry, and some people just read it the wrong way. Um, I actually haven't, I haven't recently too, to someone I had to apologize. I was like, they're like, you're so mean. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. Like, and if I'm not doing that with you, that's probably, it's a bad sign. Like if I'm not fucking with you, I don't like you. Like, so if I'm just like being normal, Uh you know, it's either one, you know, it's because there's some sort of level of professionalism or two, it's just like, I don't really want to talk to you. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) so, um, it gets me in trouble, but I think ultimately it's been a a very helpful survival tool uh, throughout my life. Okay. A&M, was that, uh, I mean, I would imagine, because I just still imagine College Station is just like this Yeah, it's garbage. Island. <laughs> well, as a Longhorn, I can agree. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I don't give a shit, dude. <laughs> they pay, I mean, I got money to go. I don't care. Oh, nice. So was it a, an escape from where you grew up? Um, It was an escape in one way. Um, You know, I just didn't, I was by myself. And so it was like, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a continuation of, kind of how I felt as a child um, yeah. and just like very alone. Um, I was very fortunate to find my best friends in life, my mm-hmm. freshman year of college. And that was like ultimately what I, I don't, I honestly don't know. Like there's certain things that happen in my life that I'm like, I probably would be dead by now. Like, um, oh, I mean, I used to, and this is, again, this is why I said it's gonna be dark. Yeah. Um, I had a plan to kill myself uh, when I was 30. I'm 31 now. And, um, you know, that was just, like, a thing that I felt ever since I was, like, 15, 14, whatever, wow. just because I had already tried to kill myself. My family was, like, all upset about it or whatever. And um, that's the funniest thing. I was, like, they made me feel bad. Like, I was the bad person for not wanting to be around. It was, like, the most insane shit. Like, that's – I had – I've worked through so much in the last few years about getting over all those things. But anyways, neither here nor there. It's just – um yeah, it was very isolating. I didn't want to go to Anim. I wasn't. It, I was just indifferent about college. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't come from a college family. I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I found out they were giving me money to go. Like, I got a full ride, and I was like, Yeah, sure, let me do this thing. Nice. Well, yeah, it was like because we were poor. <laughs> oh. It was a lot of it was like uh, income based, and there was like a couple mm-hmm. intelligence based, but most of it was because uh, we were broke as fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, Anim was. Uh, I didn't have a good time there until I started. I turned 21. <laughs> it was like this is high. Um, and that's why I'm sober now. <laughs> Good run. We will talk about that. Good we God. We'll get to that. I'm a mess. <laughs> this is sad. Uh, so inspiring. <laughs> Yay, 2022 kickoff. Yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> oh, after A&M, did you come to Austin or did you go somewhere else? No, I, um, 
after I graduated, I basically had like two weeks and I got like a job at, at a rental car company because I, I just didn't know what to do. Like mm-hmm. I don't, again, I like my family wasn't helpful, but mm-hmm. it's just because they didn't know how to be, you know yeah. what I mean? Like my mom works in a grocery store and for, for 30 something, 40 years or whatever. And my dad's uh, been a firefighter for however many years. Mm-hmm. And before that he was in the grocery business. So it's like. They just didn't know, there was no um, example. And so I just found the first job that uh, someone had suggested to me. And I did that for four years. And um, was that was probably the darkest period of my life, I think. Mm. Those four years, for many reasons. I was in a, an abusive relationship. But also, I just hated my job. Like, I, I, I re- it's just crazy to be on this other side of those things. And just be in complete darkness for like however many years like I don't know like 20 years whatever it was and you know to have that job and every day just wake up and just not want to be around like really think that if this is what life is like I can't do this anymore that job but it's also because that job is just garbage don't work for enterprise dude I don't know if you, you can bleep that off I don't know if it's legal for you to do that but that's what a predatory company mm-hmm. and it is not chill and I'm just not meant for sales because if I don't believe in it I'm not going to sell it. And I was always yeah. like, do you want this shit or not? And they're like, no, I'm like, all right, I don't care. You're an adult. <laughs> do what you want to do. This is yeah. awful. Anyways, nothing here or there. So yeah, I was in Houston when I, when I moved back and I was there for four years, maybe whatever it was. It was like, I left in, I don't even remember. I was 27 maybe when I left Houston, 26, 27. Yeah. I'll be four years in Austin coming up here okay. in the sun next summer. But um, that's what I did. I mean, there was nothing really to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of time that I wish, you know, it's it's maybe who I am, but it was very much like the darkest area, darkest time of my life, mm-hmm. I would say. Those four years, I think, after college were probably the worst. So even though you, you found your best friends in life at college, mm-hmm. and granted, you took a crap job. Yeah, absolutely. And stuck with it for way too long. How, just, how do I do that? I don't even know. Which is surprising given that what you did in college or, you know, these are my, this is my interpretation. What you did in college is like you tried different stuff. Well, yeah. It's just, I mean, But you stuck with this one job for four years. Uh, yeah, well, that's the crazy thing is that like, yeah, I had this sense of adventure and passion and willingness to take to try many things and do all this stuff. But I think what it was was just being too afraid to take risk or do something different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was still, st- my, my mental growth was so stunted. Like I truly don't believe I became an adult until like three years ago. Like mm-hmm. truly, like I was a child for a very long time. And so like, you know, what it was, was my senior year, um, I got over like a really immature relationship and then got into another relationship that felt more, um, mature or like felt more serious Mm -hmm. and it was but it was also like a really bad experience um and it was just not chill and then that person kind of like you know it's it's that time is almost like this my mom put it the best way was that um at that point in time when I was with this person she said that it felt like the light was sucked out of me and that's kind of the only way to describe how like it wasn't even just like I didn't it was like I couldn't even see a a light like I was trapped in this crazy mental place and just nothing nothing made sense I think (laughs) looking back it was kind of this is my life like this is just is what it is there's no 
nothing's going to be good in your future. Like you've never had anything good in, in your past, your future, your present, like nothing will ever work out. And, um, I was just really unfucked up, unchecked mental health problems, um, that I had no familial support. I had no, like, you know, partner support. I had no, like, you know, my friends were there for me, but like, I was so trapped in this thing. Like to give you an example, like my best friend who's still my best friend to this day, we've been best friends since 2009, um, who I met in college. Uh, she's Shannon. She's my favorite person. She <laughs> saved my life. Shout out to Shannon Shout and, and Catherine and Lucas. I love you all. Um, and Kelsey. Okay. I'm done. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> so, um, she lived in the building next to me when I, I was like a year, like after college and I got that job and I was living with my ex and, um, she lived in the building next to me and I wasn't allowed to see her. Holy I wasn't. Fuck. Yeah. And, um, I wasn't allowed to see her. Like it was, and it's just one of those things. Like you don't realize you're in that place. Like, you know, people always talk shit about people who are abused, whether it be like mental or physical, whatever. Mm -hmm. You don't realize you're there and like how hard it is to escape. You just assume it's your normal. And it's like all the rules make sense. Like there's these tiny little rules in your head. Like you're like, okay, well, you know, don't do this because X will happen. Don't do this because X will Mm -hmm. happen. And it's just kind of easy to just stay in that realm because you're so afraid of, causing a situation that could be problematic Mm -hmm. so yeah just like yeah my best friend living like right literally the building next to me and never seeing her I wasn't allowed to see her because I was told I was a different person when I was with her Hmm. and that that's not who I am and I was like actually that exactly who I am I just I'm not who I am with you yeah you know and it's really interesting yeah it was a very good time yeah that dude's insane um and actually still insane because I was an idiot in a few like two years ago like, kind of, like, let him back in my life in a way, because I had to block him on everything, because he's fucking crazy, and, um, I was like, oh, he seems pretty normal again, maybe we can, like, meet up or whatever, and then, um, yeah, he, like, popped off again, and I was just like, all right, we're gonna, like, block him again, this is crazy, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, I really wish the best, like, there's no ill will there, you know, it just, to me, it is what it is, and maybe his perception of the situation is different, but mine and everyone else's perception of the situation was, is, yeah. thought it was abusive um and it was never like physical like except for almost one time and he like broke all of our shit in our apartment and stuff like that there's a lot of just mental shit but um yeah i wish the best for him i don't i'm a, i'm always like i actually live in paranoia that he's gonna he googles me and like mm-hmm. you know stuff like this is gonna come up and whatever it is what it is i just i am a, i am afraid of him i'll say that but mm-hmm. i do still wish the best for him and i hope that you know things change but probably not Ugh, let's cut that. All right. <laughs> if I need to. <laughs> nah, it's cool, dude. Whatever. I'm an open yeah. book. Fuck it. I'm, I tell all my secrets on stage. Who cares? <laughs> so what was it breaking point situation that got you to Austin or was it just like you? you no, were... it was the start of my life. Okay. So um, this is the coolest part about me. I think this is what you're saying that now it's going to make sense to you. Like, like I have like these all these passions. I do all this crazy yeah. shit. Um, so one of my biggest passions in life outside of comedy is uh cooking i started cooking when i was like seven years old and yeah back then it was like more out of necessity because my mom was always working and i was kind of like left to me to do like the house stuff and like cook and whatever and you know and i also enjoyed it i liked you know anything creative i've always been a very creative person um and uh kind of like I don't know. I'm, I'm really lucky to have that aspect of my life because um, I've tried to be stifled by a lot of teachers in my life. And looking back, I was like, I'm just, 
I'm a creative, intelligent person. Like, and I think that's, don't do that to kids. Don't tell them that you can only do things one way anyways. But I, uh, no, it happened a lot in school for me. Like they were like, this is not the way to do it. It's this way. I'm like, right. But this is done. It's done. Right. Like, isn't it cool too? Like not Mm -hmm. only is it done, but it's really neat. Like, no, you know, Oh, I hate, (laughs) neither here nor there. Anyways. So I started (laughs) cooking when I was like seven and um, I just did that for a long time. I come from a line of great cooks. Um, my mom's a fantastic cook. My grandma's a fa- fantastic cook. Um, and so, yeah, I just did that forever and just, like, self-taught. And, you know, when I was in college, I was, like, a vegetarian. So back then, there wasn't, like, a lot of, like, options for vegetarians. So I did a lot of cooking. I got really into health. So um, I was uh, doing, like, really healthy foods and versions of stuff and finding, like, how to make things and make things taste good and blah, blah, blah. And then fast forward to like whatever year, um, I auditioned is the year I moved to Austin. I did, uh, or the year before I auditioned for MasterChef, uh, season nine and made it through the process, like a six month process or something. Like you do the, like the, everything, like the food, they, you go to the open casting and then you meet with the producers and then you, they shoot your little promo and then you do all this other shit. And then, so they, I finally made it. I made it out to LA. They flew like me and 78 other people out to LA and that was like the final audition wow yeah it was pretty cool like it was the life-changing moment for me that like I just like I don't know it was like this invigorating thing that happened and I just I was in like almost in disbelief that I was oh I'm gonna cry uh-huh. oh it's okay by the way no <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's cool it's cool to cry dude I love to, love to do all it all the shit you've <laughs> talked about and this is the one yeah, well, just because I have this new sense of experience, like, gratitude mm-hmm. and just being so grateful for the little part of me that just kept going because, like, I've done some cool shit and I'm finally able to say that that's due to my sense of adventure and ability to take risk and willingness to, willingness to learn and grow and um, work through the hard stuff, like, go to the edges of the darkness and... Mm-hmm continue on and experience great things that not everyone is willing to to make that leap and I'm somebody who because of this experience with MasterChef and it showed me like to make the leap and you will survive you will be stronger on the other side and um but yeah so uh didn't make it (laughs) (laughs) I remember at the end of the week they told us they took top 40 for the uh, initial episode, and that was, like, the cook-off or whatever. And, um, by the way, I performed very well in the kitchen at MasterChef. I didn't make it because I don't have a good enough story, and I was on uh, new antidepressants that took away my personality, Aww. so my interviews were so bad. Um, so that was that. It wasn't the food. I'm a great cook. Anyways, <laughs> so they tell us that we don't make it, and they take us to Venice Beach. And I remember getting – and they had we didn't have our phones with us the whole week or anything, so it's, like, this really cool moment, too, to just be alone and, like – kind of just have this really cool experience and it's like almost like it's yours like you know I don't have to share it with anyone and it's like the first time to have something so good and it to be just mine like Mm -hmm. you know and um I think it's the Venice Beach I take I get a fucking mad edible um and I'm just sitting on the beach and uh just thinking about like how grateful and how cool that experience was and everyone else around me was all bummed like i didn't make it i can't believe i didn't make it people quit their fucking jobs just i was like why don't you see if you make it first and then give you call your fucking job psycho like and i was like 
how you know what I mean? Because like I will always take risk, but yeah. my risks are very calculated. Mm-hmm. There's a certain level of risk where it's like, yeah, that could really fuck your life up, but there's also like there's a tiny safety net built in. Mm-hmm. And so I don't understand whatever. Yeah. So they're all freaking out and they're all pissed off and da da da. I should have made it. And I'm just like, damn, dude, like, I can't believe I made it here. Like, I can't believe I did that. Like, I did that. Like, crazy. Like, why am I? And then I was just like, why the fuck are you wasting your life? Like, you hate your life. You hate your job. Like, you love food. You love cooking. I've never worked in a restaurant. I was like, let me go work in a restaurant. I want to own a restaurant. It's been my dream for so long. Mm-hmm. Like, let me go do that. So come back uh, to Houston. And then I had a friend at the time who was like, just moved to Austin. And I was like, okay um so I did I quit my job um got a job in a restaurant through a friend like a different friend like I'm so grateful for everyone in my life because there's it's crazy the amount of work of more of the things that people do for you when I'm like because my whole you know what I mean my voice in my head like you're worthless you're not worth anything like and there's these people who put stock in you and you're just like oh my god I'm so <laughs> grateful and that's why okay another side <laughs> my friend's all the time, like, it's, um, obviously it's not anymore because I'm sober, but when I would get drunk, I would be like, I am so thankful for you. Thank you so much for being my friend. Mm-hmm. And everyone would be like, what is, they call it, they would call it pulling a Candace. And I'm like, because you have no idea what it's like to be so alone forever and just be so grateful for any ounce of, like, support or whatever for nothing in return. Like, yeah. it's so crazy. Anyway, so I got to Austin through all those means, and I was a server. I was a 27-year-old server. And um, I remember my aunt who married into wealth, um, really wealth, not just like, like old, she married into ultra wealth and she called me and she's always the one that calls when everyone thinks someone made a bad decision or whatever. Hmm. And so she calls me and she's like, huh, moving to Austin to be a server. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, my girlfriend runs a charity out there, um, who, uh, hires people for catering and restaurant who need to get back on their feet. And I literally like, I literally was like, I'm not a fucking drug addict. Like, this is a purposeful choice, you know? Yeah. And it's like, this is the moment that I realized, like, fuck everybody, dude. Like, because there was this vision I had in my head for myself, and I knew I wouldn't let myself fail. Like, I, and I, and back then I was a different person, so unconfident, so afraid of everything. But this was my first big leap, my first big adventure. And I did it. And I, fell in love with the restaurant industry and was like thriving. Like within three months, I got my first promotion, to like lead server. They had me open one of the other restaurants because they wanted me to set that culture and that tone. Um, I just have an affinity for hospitality and probably cause it's like that need to be liked and like <laughs> want to serve other people. Cause I feel like it's going to make them like me. Um, yeah. shout out to childhood neglect. Um, and, uh, but I loved it. And then I worked through the restaurant, like all the jobs and my goal was to work in a kitchen that I respected, you know? And so within three years, I hit that goal. I worked at this restaurant, this amazing chef um, named Courtney Watson. She's fantastic. And it was so, such an honor to get to work um, with her. I learned a lot in that kitchen and just be so proud of that food. But like from someone who has no formal training, who literally just started restaurant, like barely learning to like be able to do that. And all through all these experiences, grow my confidence, like, you know, even being in that restaurant, I felt so afraid and I was like, my anxiety is always so high and I'm such a perfectionist. It's because again, it's that need to like be perfect because you think mm-hmm. that people will love you if you're perfect. Ugh. Shout out to child of neglect. <laughs> okay. Um, and yes, yeah, so I mean, that was the thing that changed everything for me was that, you know, having this vision and like letting that passionate side of me be fueled and push me forward and 
to grow from it and start little by little to become an adult. Because again, like I really think that like my childhood just created in, you know, years of abuse, like whatever, like just created this, like almost feeling like you're a kid. Like I feel like not even like I didn't feel like a grown ass woman, like until like recently, because it was just me feeling like I was so incapable that like, oh my God, I'm so afraid of everything in the world. People are going to know that you're incapable and like unqualified and all these things. And but the thing is like, I'm... I I and so many other people are so much more capable than we believe. You just have to take that risk because in that gap, you will grow. Mm -hmm. Whatever you don't know, you will grow and you will learn. The problem is when people don't learn from their mistakes, and that's the issue. Neither here nor there. But yeah, that was the life-changing thing for me that taught me risk and what that can do for you. And just saying, fuck it. Like, I don't have a vision for the future like you know what I mean and I do now but back then I was just like I'm just happy to be alive for the first time in my life I truly see my future for myself and at the time it was a restaurant now it's not but that was a big choice for me too that broke my heart you know um in a way you know choosing comedy and realizing like this is I'm gonna I'm shooting the moon dude like I'm gonna go for it and um that was a big thing too but very fortunate to have so many passions in life (laughs) And, um, oh yeah, all these things like saved my life and all these people I met along the way saved my life. Um, so yeah. Working in the restaurant business does not, uh, and this, you know, maybe a misconception, but does not usually afford a lot of free time. So when did you hit your first open mic? <laughs> uh, yeah, I hit my and first. And why? Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, I hate talking about my timeline because... I'll do it, but I just want to preface it by saying that it's one of those things that makes me really Mm self-conscious is knowing how much time I've been in comedy, and I just don't believe in time because time doesn't always equal um, skill. Just because you do something doesn't mean, you you know what I mean, someone who's been in it less time, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's just one of those things. But either way, it was... um, hmm. What is it? 2014. It would be 2020. So this would be 2019. Okay. So 2019 in March of 2019, March 22nd, 2019. <laughs> I started putting the calendar together. Um, what is the 22nd or the 14th? 22nd sounds right. Um, or the 15th. 14, 15, or 22nd. Those are all sound good numbers. Okay. <laughs> one of those days. I, we're going to um, say 22nd because I this like is that 2022. One. Yeah, we're going to go 22, so. 22. That sounds... That sounds like a good omen. I like it. Um, yeah, so I was hanging out. At the time I was working at this restaurant, and I um, met a really good friend whose name was Casey. And at the time, I was trying to get back into running. Uh, like, when I first moved to Austin, I gained, like, 20, 30 pounds just from binge drinking. And being in the restaurant industry, like, that's – it was, like, literally the worst yeah. <laughs> scenario for someone who is like me who really does love to get fucked up and loves – um, now I realize why, but back then I was just like, I like to party. Um, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I like to forget. Um, so yeah, I was just drinking all the time and I just got into craft beer. I was a craft beer place. So I'm drinking like 300 calorie IPA, like drinking like six to eight of those God. every day, if not more plus <laughs> liquor on top of it. Um, yeah, I mean, not to brag, but I'm fucking elite level champion, uh, <laughs> drinker. 
um, they retired my jersey. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, like, you know, and so I met this person, and she was a runner, and I was like, oh, that's great. Like, I want to get back into running, because when I, back in the same time in college, when I got really healthy and was d- doing vegetarian, I was also got into running really heavily, um, and uh, also, like, combined with an eating disorder, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Good God, my life is a <laughs> fucking wreck. Um, but I'm still here. Uh, got him. Um, so... She's like, yeah, let's go. We were like, let's do this running club. And I was like, yeah. So we both do this running club for the first time together. We did it like two, three weeks in a row or something like that. And at one of them, she's like, do you want to go see my girlfriend at Nope Mike? And this is Ariel Isaac Norman. This is how like our paths ah. collide and like my life changes and all the great things in my life. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, let's go. And here's the thing is I'm not a comedy fan. Like my, I grew up and my family's really funny. I did listen to, like, some Jeff Foxworthy tapes because my dad loved Jeff, Fo- Jeff Foxworthy. Uh, my dad loves SNL, so we'd watch that and stuff like that. But I'm not a comedy fan. Mm-hmm. But this is the crazy thing. So we go to Mr. Tramps. Oh, gosh. So if you know, <laughs> we go to Mr. Tramps. <laughs> and this is how um, much I realized I held comedy in such a high esteem. Like, I knew I did. And it, like, the craziest thing is that my life has been pushing me to this path, to this path forever, like, the whole time. And I mm-hmm. kind of realize that now. And I don't really believe in destiny, but I think that I'm very lucky to have found this path that I think was my ultimate, like, ugh, purpose in a way. But because uh, in college, I wanted to audition for, like, an improv troupe. Like, I was just like, always these small moments. And I was always really good at public speaking. It was, like, these really small moments that kind of collided. And I – so we go to Mr. Tramp's. And we're in the front of the bar. And if you know Mr. Tramp, shout out, dude. I love that place. I'm so sad to see it not a thing anymore. But you can't recreate a vibe. Um, and they have this curtain in the to the back. And that's where the open mic was. When, every Wednesday and Sunday. And it was a Sunday. And, or no, it was a Wednesday. I'm a liar. Because uh, Wednesdays was Mitch McCulser's day. And um, this day was guess Or no, it wasn't. It was Mitch McCulser's day. doesn't matter. <laughs> And uh, I was so nervous to even cross that curtain because I respected <sighs> even these shitty open micers. <laughs> so I didn't even I didn't even realize about myself. I was so nervous I couldn't even go in there. I was like, wow. oh my god, like I'm just I can't even I can't even go in there. Like they're gonna oh my goodness, like these are famous people. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is my perception, dude. What a fucking nerd. Um, so uh, yeah, I watched the open mic and I remember just instantly being so enthralled because. Even the bad comedy, you're just like, holy shit. Like, these people are, like, doing this thing. Like, just so much instant respect and just, like, holy crap. And coming out of that experience and being like, I could never do that. Like, literally. And I went back, like, another week. And I was just like, oh, I really wish I could do that. I could never. I could fucking never do that. And, like, I just can't. I'm so jealous of these people. And it's like knowing that there's, like, this thing in the back of my mind who's always wanted to do this. And I guess I I never admitted it to myself. And, um... Yeah, and there was, like, one day I got really fucking high <laughs> and went to this mic, and I was just sitting there, and I was just like, damn, just fuck you guys, it's so good. And it was, like, um, that night I went home, and I remember telling someone, like, I want to do this, but I can never fucking do this. I would never be able to do this, right? And I woke up the next morning, and my brain just started writing jokes. Like, I can't even, it was just, I just started writing. And uh-huh. I was just like, what the fuck? And then the next week, I was back, and I did my first open mic, and uh, it was good god i remember like just being so high and just being like and not only that but it went pretty well for like my first open mic and i you know it was just like i don't know and from there just like this i don't know i don't know i just it's just the bug that everyone catches but on a different level yeah. it was like 
because it also became dark for me too. Like, because, um, you know, still like a lot of unchecked mental health problems and I became obsessive and I'm most kind of a superstitious person, but it's also this level of like need to be perfect. This perfect, it's like all these things that are about my personality that collide in almost a negative way where ultimately it was a positive experience and it saved my life. It's what made me get out of bed every day. It was also this addictive, um, like super, like I couldn't miss a mic. I don't, I don't think I, for like a year or more, I don't think until pandemic, like I remember starting therapy. Yeah. So it was like almost an entire year Hmm. from that March, like after that first month, I think because FPIA season had just started too. So I remember I was 30 days into comedy when I did my FPIA set and it was so enthralling and just I was so proud of myself because I know how hard I worked on that fucking set and how far I've come and how my family for the longest said like that was the the only just do those jokes just because they hated everything else but I'm so proud I don't fucking listen to anyone but myself anyways but yeah I mean it just started this whole process for me where once I figured out the circuit I just wouldn't miss a mic and then it became as many mics as I can hit in one night but then I it was like, I don't know, my brain just functioned. It just made sense. And so, like, I remember, like, mic to mic, it's just changing things. And, like, my brain just starts writing. Like, I don't know, it was wild. But at the same time, it was very crazy for me because, honestly, like, I was doing pretty well for someone who was pretty new. Mm-hmm. And um, I was very lucky to have the people who were supportive in the beginning. Um, like, Craig Fergola was one of my first friends, and he was supportive and really helped me a lot, especially through that first FPIA season, um, and Ariel taking me under her wing and, um, you know, I got to apprentice for off script and that's for like the, one of the shows that made me the comic that I am now. Um, and you know, just like all these little small moments and just getting all these opportunities and people seeing in me something I didn't see in myself, but also it was the dark side of, um, really intense imposter syndrome like not even just like oh I don't it was like bad it was Mm -hmm. like I was in therapy and I couldn't my brain would convince me of the craziest shit like I would have good sets and I'd be like not good enough like you have to you gotta be hard you gotta work harder or I would feel like if I miss an open mic my world would fucking fall apart like I could not miss a mic or else I would um somehow regress and then I would have these intense feelings of like you have to quit now because people are going to realize you're a fraud and everyone's going to hate you. Like it was like, but it was on such a real level. Like that was my reality. And so for the longest time combined with my social anxiety, even though I'm like very outgoing, people perceive it's like, I also have this very intense social anxiety because I feel like a a burden to the world. And so, um, for the longest time I felt that way and I, I don't really feel that way anymore. Um, but I felt like a burden to the world. So I, wanted to minimize myself like the only time I was able to be myself and really talk and in at length in public was to be on stage and when at anything outside of that open mic stuff I, I had to keep to myself unless people talked to me I could not talk to them hmm. and so I think I had a bad reputation for a very long time within the original Austin comedy scene and even going into the post post pandemic just because it's I I get really nervous to talk to people because I feel like I have nothing of value to say, but I also feel like I'm bothering people when I talk to them. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's that yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell, <laughs> very okay. big nutshell. So here we go. Okay. My turn. 
question one. Question one. <laughs> oh my god, I was kidding. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is a five hour long podcast. It is. Oh my god. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm so self important. Look at me. God damn it. This is like really triggering a lot of my you gotta stop talking. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm bothering you. Okay. So in in I I was seeing your name pop up right before the the COVID shutdown. And I was lucky that Colton knew you and you came on to our online shows that mm. we did. And I mean, instantly fell in love <laughs> with with you and you did such wacky, crazy things. <laughs> yeah. And for an online show, you know, that's kind of what we needed. And with everything that you've talked about now, it makes sense. I'm old. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Me too. I, I can sometimes pick up on things. And we asked you if you wanted to be a host because Colton was burning himself out. And you basically ghosted me. Oh, okay. Maybe, and maybe you don't that's remember it that way, but that's how I felt. And I'm like... Definitely not. Did she, was this too much pressure? Oh, dude, let me like, give you a little insight. Okay, one, um, never knew that Colton wanted me to host. I remember wanting to be like a regular segment, and then I thought I had told everyone I couldn't do it anymore because I would never, I feel like on a professional level, I would never go sit. Mm. Here's what happened. I, um, I did the segments a few times, and they were really fun at first, but then they became a huge stressor to me mm. because I have that need to be perfect and to perform wow. well. And it was just really hard to not get the feedback. I need to adjust to get my act to the way I wanted to. Yeah. And especially like gearing, like shifting gears into an online world. And I'm the kind of person who, I mean, if you know my comedy, like I change in every room depending on what I'm doing Mm -hmm. or how I'm feeling like whatever my set won't it'll be different you know and so for the online show there was no feedback to understand how to adjust and I'm really big about um like making changes and not making the same mistakes and so not really knowing you know how the performance went or if it was stupid or if it was insane or and I think (laughs) the nail in the coffin for me because it was it became a big stressor I was like oh this is you know, and, and it's because I still was very unconfident. Like I, you know, I, I was finally getting my stride at the time of the pandemic in comedy and like mm-hmm. really finding my, like learning, like on the road to finding my voice, which even now is so different. I'm like, ugh, I'm so glad for the pandemic. I'm glad to anyone else. I'm so sorry to everyone else's who career who's got <laughs> fucked because it's what I needed because on those online shows that the last one I had, I remember I had a really funny one, like the one prior. And then the last one I had was in front of like really big names (laughs) and it felt like a huge bomb. And my whole family was watching and I just was like, fuck this. Like, and it wasn't even just the online thing. I actually made the decision to quit comedy. Holy fuck. Candace. Yeah. I quit comedy. Um, and no one knows that except for those closest to me in the scene. And, um, I told myself, you know what? You've had such a great run, and it's taught you a lot. It saved your life, but you don't need this thing anymore, you know. And uh, obviously lying to myself, um, but I really meant it, and no one believed me because I had said it. And there were times where there's one time, one other time before pandemic where I told um, some showrunners that I quit, and that was true. And I obviously was just taking a break. It's what I needed because I was working myself into the ground. Yeah. Um, and I tend to do that. And now I have a better balance of 
what I need to do to mentally recover because I'm in a place now where if I want to take a night off, like I know I'm not going to backslide. Like I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm established as a comic mm-hmm. and I'm, I passed the threshold of open mic or I have a voice now, like, and I have like a vision for myself. So it's different, but yeah, during quarantine, I quit. I, that was like the final straw it was like the, it wasn't just the online show. It was just everything feeling like, you know, I'm lost. And this was like, applicable to everyone you know it wasn't just me i'm not saying poor me but this is was the life-changing moment i was like okay i'm gonna focus on restaurant like this is something i'm good at this is a way to make a career in the future a lot of great things were happening at me and my job i got a new role i was learning a whole different avenue of the business i was like looking at getting promoted like all the things i had started in the industry to do were happening and i was like well cool this was like your original goal this is like it was still one of even concurrently with comedy as like comedy became I didn't I never saw myself having a future in it that was going to be somehow to make money or have a career it was just like all like literally all I wanted to do in my mindset was like I just want to be the best I can be I want to be the best fucking comic where like that's all I cared about it was like so that's why I would mic so hard I was just like I just want to be so perfect I want to be so solid and like it was just this, it was just crazy, you know, it was very crazy, but that's just how my brain works, I have to be perfect, I have to be the best at stuff, like, that's just, my whole life has been that way, yeah. and it's to the detriment, but it's also why I'm such a hard-working person, because I won't give up until, I'll never be satisfied, so that's not even where it is, just being the best, or having some sort of, like, little thing of validation, you know, and when the imposter syndrome thing was happening, that was impossible to achieve because all the validation I was getting, I would convince myself that people were lying to me, that people were trying to fuck with me or play tricks on me. And my therapist, when I finally did get into therapy, she was like, what purpose would that serve? I was like, it's a good point. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, um, yeah, that was a weird time. And I'm really grateful for my friends in comedy who one were like, yeah, okay shut up, like, you're, and I, would, and, and it, it did piss me off, I remember, right before I came back, um, once things started opening, I remember going to a party, and it was a comics birthday or something, where everyone was meeting up, and I didn't know everyone was going to be there, right, I just thought I was, like, uh, close friends, whatever, and there was all these comics, and everyone was like, man, we've missed you, we haven't seen mm. you, and I was just, like, I got so pissed, because everyone was like, you have to come back, just come one open mic, come on, please, and this sounds like I'm bragging. It's not a bra- It was literally a dark time for me. So fuck off. Everybody like, well, everyone's begging me to come back. I'm so good. Uh, no, as you know, it was just, it was one of those moments where it actually got, got very angry. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And I want you to respect my decision. This is, was a hard choice for me. Like, yeah. because it's giving up something that is so like unmeasurable, like the amount of love and appreciation I have for comedy and, um, so that was that. And then the next, next week <laughs> I uh, was like, I was just in bed and I just, you know, my friends were still texting me to go to open mics and I finally was like, yeah, I'll go. And I, I went and I remember my friend texting me, uh, Craig Fergola. He's still like, you know, what a good friend, like truly, you know, everyone hates him and shit. Cause he's a mess. No offense, Craig, but honestly get your shit together. Um, <laughs> I love you, dude. Um, but you know, he was the one that was like, you got it. He was the main one that like, you got to come back. And he was texting me to come back. And I remember just being like, fuck you, dude. And then finally being like, all right, I'm going to go, which mic should I go to? And like, he told me, and I went to lucky duck 
and um he was like be prepared to not know anyone mm. and i was like what the fuck are you talking yeah. about i know people okay <laughs> i'm not gonna not know anyone i walk into a group of like 50 white men i have never seen in my entire fucking life and i was like oh god you know but uh. then going up there and, you know, not having a great set, but it was like redo it, like, you know, working that muscle and just coming off stage and being like, fuck, <laughs> I'm so fucked. <laughs> and, uh, again, it's the friends that I have in the scene. Cause the next day I was just trying to go to a show. I forgot what show I was trying to go to. I was just trying to go see what there is to see. Mm-hmm. And I got the location wrong and I ended up at Lucky Duck and they were doing a showcase there. And God bless Colton. He's, there's a few people in my comedy career who have really pushed me and i think colton is one of those people who has pushed me past what i think of myself he's like i don't know man i wouldn't god damn what a good person um also get your shit together but um i (laughs) and i love you um but one of those people because i was there and he's like can you just do can you just do like a set and i was like no dude i i haven't done this in a year i don't i don't even remember my jokes what the fuck do you want you know and he's like, I just need you to do six minutes. I was like, I can't do six minutes. Like, this is so funny looking back. Like, six minutes to me now is a slap in the face. But it's like, I was like, I can't do that. And then I just got my little set list together, went up there, and just, like, fucking had such a great set for what it was. You know what I mean? Like, and just coming off stage and being like, oh, my God, I've missed this. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, not do this ever again, you know? And then going through those growing pains of being back in the pandemic was just one of the most beautiful things. Uh, I wish I, there's all these moments that I wish I could bottle and relive because they are honestly so beautiful and simultaneously being so painful and there's just these awful growing pains. And you know, this, just the mental strife I went through with comedy for the longest was just one of those things. And a lot of people go through it. So it's not unique to me, but the intensity with which I don't think is normal because I already struggle with mental health. And I think, honestly it was very fucked up and like you know going to open mics and trying my old material but then like trying to write new and hating everything being like this is so bad and like really talking to someone like I was talking to one day I was like a few weeks after starting back a month after starting back and like hitting mics as much as like all the mics that you could at the time because there weren't a lot and talking to Jay Wycotton and he just being like, I don't think I can write anymore. I think this is it for me. I'm I'm going to have to quit. Like, I don't think I can. And him just being like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, and I remember this was the moment for me. Because I remember being like, fuck you. I'm not going to quit. Like, in my brain, you know. Not, I didn't say that to him. But I was like, all right, yeah, yeah maybe. And then, um, I don't know, just like, there's those little small times. You just keep leveling up. Your writing gets better and you get better. And it's those growing pains that I live for is like, is the, that's what makes comedy for me. It's not the good sets. It's not getting booked. It's literally the hard work, the grind, the writing, the rewriting, the like failing and having these little moments of growth that are so personal and, and people around you can see it, but maybe not on the level that you do, or they won't tell you. And I think also the other thing is being a woman has been really hard because I don't get the feedback, especially because I was antisocial for a long time. I don't get the feedback, you know, that other people get. And I think that was hard for me too, is because not knowing what other people thought of me and comedy is about validation and, but having people come up after shows and saying it was funny wasn't enough. I wanted, you know, people I respected to say, you know, I agree job up there or whatever, but that's the thing is I didn't really get that. So honestly it, it worked out because it made me work even harder because I was like, 
I guess you're not good enough. You got to keep working. So mm-hmm. I just kept going. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that. Okay. Next question. I don't even know if I answered the first one. Let's keep going. <laughs> All right. You just did the Comedy Wham Showcase. Yeah. And it was so cool to watch you because my memories of the online show where you were just being wild and crazy. Yeah. And I knew you were a hard partier. Yeah, okay. And you <laughs> <Little> just... <rude>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, and I'm not even, you know, out there. Well, someone's just... got a problem. Yeah, we got it. Thank you, Valerie. <laughs> you uh, have have made no secret about being 100 plus days sober. Mm-hmm. And watching you the other night, it was like watching somebody commanding a court. You you took a risk. You got up. You I don't know if this is just part of what you usually do, but you stood up on a stool on a high ch- high top chair and you just you commanded the room. You commanded the audience and it was really cool to to watch and in, in my brain thinking, you know, this is somebody who's getting her shit together. <laughs> And she's figured out how to hold the audience's attention with comedy and not with being a wacky person or a wacky character. Yeah. um, I'm not going to take offense. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to address that. I, yeah, on the online show, there's definitely a wacky character, but that's because um, this this applies to even what you're talking about in a way. Um, If, if a room is, to me, this is I. I read rooms pretty pretty well, mm-hmm. um, and if a room is not a hundred percent conducive to maybe being like the sterile scientific way you would want a room to be to mm-hmm. deliver a polished set, then I will not do a polished set. So, for instance, the comedy show, I didn't want to just do my jokes verbatim because, one, my jokes can only be sold if I sell them and it's in the way that I do them and doesn't yeah. translate through the Internet. So, for me, I wanted to do something that was abnormal or different or somehow being able to command this fucking unknown room, which is literally infinity. It's the Internet. Yeah. And trying to find a way to push myself to do something out of my comfort zone. And that applies to exactly what you're talking about. And in it, my comedy isn't wacky or goofy. I think that I am just someone who um, now I think of the growth is the growth that you're seeing, where it's this newfound confidence that I have in myself to know that I am my own safety net on stage. Mm-hmm. So I've been having a lot looser sets, um, and especially if the room is odd. Like that was like a room that was like outdoors and like kind of spaced out and that's fine. But it's like, I can't, those rooms won't, I can't do a polished set there because I think on a certain level, like the only things that work in a room like that might be like one liner short jokes and stuff like that, which I don't do. So for me, it's going to be about the performance and like, how can I sell this joke? Right. Mm -hmm. So these jokes that you were telling are my jokes. They're just deconstructed. So I would just lose the set, kind of like absolve the structure and let myself be loose with it while still hitting the points in the roadmap for the jokes. And that's why I was like, let me get on this chair because also if I don't know what it is about me on stage, but if I'm distracted or something's bothering me, I have to address it. (laughs) I will literally (laughs) fucking say, fuck this set. Uh If, if it's bothering me and just go for it. And honestly, those are the moments that I have the most fun and the best sets because it's me 
getting rid of whatever that stressor is and just going for it. And um, for the Comedy Wham show and Lakeway, the most recent one, they were like, I just, there was a freaking space heater between where I was. So I couldn't see like this one line of vision to the room. And I'm trying to talk to this table. They're like, there's in the way of the space heater. That's why yeah. I said, fuck this. <laughs> Let me just get on this <laughs> stool so I can just see everyone. Uh, yeah. So it wasn't about being like goofy or insane yeah. or whatever. It's like, let me find a way to solve this problem and still perform for these people. Mm-hmm. And it's also fun for me. I said, let me fuck this. Out. There's like, there's times when you can see in my set where I say, fuck this set. <laughs> I'm yeah. just going to have fun. That's what I'm here to do. Yeah. And that's when I get like these, these responses of these people who genuinely enjoy my comedy or my set because it's like, there's always different because I'm so responsive to what's going on around me. So it's like, I'll abandon a set like that. Like if there's that kind of issue, yeah. if there's someone talking, mm. I will literally stop what I'm doing and I don't give a shit about that. I will bomb the rest of the set if I have to, if I'm going to call you out for being disrespectful, yeah. like in a fun way. Um, it's just how I am. I don't know. And like, these are the, the thing that I've unlocked recently. And I talk about these small moments in comedy that are only for me that I live through that I just want to bottle because they're so great. And there was a moment that happened to me recently. Um, and it was kind of like the thing that changed my comedy life. Like it was what gave me the confidence to sit, to say, fuck this set, you know? And I think I've been building my way to this cause I have these little moments of it happening where, when I'm so loose, but I'm still in the set, mm-hmm. it's just what makes it, it gives it that like fucking flourish that I constantly working on. And there's that moment and it happened. And so now my sets a lot lately have been super loose. Like, you know, if I feel like, if I'm reading the room and they're not really responsive maybe to a polished set or whatever, then I'll abandon it. I'll work on some new stuff or I'll do different transitions or I'll just go into crowd work or, you know, it just, it just depends. But I, I really do value these looser sets that I've been having. And part of that is like, I change stuff up all the time. I take a lot of risk in my sets. There's times where set to set, like I'll have three sets in a night and they're all the same place or two sets in the same place. And I don't want, I don't want to run the fear of the audience getting bored, but I also don't want to be bored. Mm-hmm. So I'll flip stuff. I'll write new opens, like right before I go on stage, addressing something like, you know, maybe something, something the comics have before or something I want to address about what I'm wearing or something, you know? So those are the things I do to keep myself loose and to have those like off the wall sets that are just like, you know, it's just having that trust in yourself. Like, I think a lot of comics get really in their head and they want to perform it the same way. They want to be polished and all those things are important, but I think it's also important to trust ourselves as entertainers to know that inherently we are funny and just being human is funny and fucking up something is funny. Like, Mm -hmm. and just your trust fall into yourself. Like you are your own safety net on stage. Like you will be funny. Like, and that's what's, that's why I love this new era of comedy for myself because it is just saying letting it go and just knowing one the jokes in themselves are i work so hard to fucking make them perfect (laughs) that they're gonna be fine they're my safety net but ultimately if i do go on a tangent i am my own safety net and i can fall back into my set so it's like you just got to trust yourself and i learned to trust myself on stage i learned to believe that i'm actually funny yeah you know which was the struggle the whole time is not believing it not believing anyone else either so Mm -hmm. yeah that's it 
but thank you. That's exciting, <laughs> right? That you have reached that point because you've never, few things that you've gone through afforded you that feeling. Right. I, yeah, because I've never felt secure. And it's like one of those, like, not even just like, I'm talking, not even talking like self-esteem secure. I mean, like literally physically secure, mentally secure, like none of those financially secure. I've never felt those things. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the first time in my life where I do, like, I think even within the last 30 days, and this is probably tied to my sobriety, it's totally tied to a lot of things that it, you know, my work ethic, being proud of myself, like, in multiple avenues, like, throwing myself into comedy and realizing, like, um, that this is it for me, like, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this with everything I have now, and really pursuing it and knowing that, I'm, I could fail, but at the same time, I've built so much for myself that right. if comedy doesn't work out, like, I will be successful in a different avenue. Um, so I'm just confident. I don't know. I think it's the sobriety thing, probably, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, a lot, of, a lot has changed in the last 60 days um, that has just been magnificent. Like, I've just had great experiences, like, going to Skankfest and really, that was the craziest mental, personal journey that when I try to talk about it with people, it's so hard because it was the biggest mental journey for me, mm. comedy-wise and personally. Like, it was beautiful. And it was there that that moment happened where I talked about unlocking the thing that everyone else, like, the people who love me most have, are like, I just want to, like, Colton's always saying to me, like, I just want to see you go and just because I know you can do it. Uh-huh. And it's because he's seen those moments in me when I just let go and I'm just on stage just, like, fucking going. And um, it just, I, I did it, you know, and I had this moment. But the funniest thing is it was just such a tumultuous journey. Those four days at Skankfest was really awful for me, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of reasons. I, mean, I faced every anxiety that I could possibly have. I was anxiety on 10, 11 for fucking like five days straight and it was the most stressful craziest thing and it was so personal and no one could get it and I thought I was gonna quit comedy like before the set that I'm talking about 20 minutes before that I was like you're gonna quit this is it for you like this is your last but I meant it you know and I it was like I was like you've done so much you've tried so hard and you're just never gonna be this like you're never gonna be as like big as these names and, and not that I'm saying like because Skankfest is great it is just a different caliber of audience and like there's a lot of just you know factors into it it was a great experience for me because I don't fit in I think that's why it was a great experience for me and I'm so grateful for that experience I'm grateful for Rebecca Trent for giving me that experience and being able to do that and trusting me as a comic to to do that and um but it was hard because one I don't fit in like even like redeveloping my style personally, like fashion wise and like how I look on stage and how I present myself has changed in the last (laughs) like 60 days. Like everything's changed about me. And so going there and everyone's like, mostly it's all men. (laughs) And then, and then it's like, and then all the women there are like dressed down and they're like kind of like vibing. And I've never been to Skankfest. I don't know what to, to, you know, and I'm, but I'm always true to myself. So I was like, I'm going to wear my little dresses that I like now and like look, look all adorable because I am. (laughs) And, um, but it's just this level of nervousness that I had never experienced and also being sober and being afraid. And this is a moment, this is a point in my sobriety where I was legitimately afraid of alcohol. Like I was scared like that. Like 
I was afraid that if I just had one drink, like, you know, I just can't explain. It. It's just this fear. Yeah. It was a weird point. I was so afraid of everything. And you're surrounded. Like all the green rooms were just surrounded with alcohol. And I'm just sitting there like anxiety on 10 because one of where I am, the pressure to perform. And then that I always hold myself to this really high standard that is like almost impossible to be that perfect, but I just can't help it. Just when I, when I, especially when I'm anxious, my brain just takes me there. Mm-hmm. So I have to be perfect. And so it's like me stressing out the brother performance, me having, feeling like I shouldn't be there. I felt like I didn't deserve that place. I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I was nobody and I don't deserve it. And you're a piece of shit, you know, still kind of mentality, but then also dealing with large amounts of people. So one of the anxieties that I struggle with still really intently is, um, a lot of people in small places stresses me out combined with my social anxiety. So it was literally all of my anxieties, at one Jeez. time and then not having any outlet for it right and because all everyone i know there was partying and having fun and of course i'm not gonna be like nobody's paying attention to me i was like yeah it's like if i were getting drunk like they would we would be partying together but yeah. unfortunately like and also i was just so meek and like when i get nervous like that i draw inward and i become not fun to hang around because i'm so quiet and mm-hmm. just in myself and i can't talk because i'm gonna talk about all these bad things you know so I ended up walking, I was like, every day I was walking 20,000 plus steps because I just wow. couldn't be in one place at any time. And I didn't want to yeah. be in any green room with anyone famous or because there were just a ton of people. And I just felt, again, like it's that that social anxiety and feeling like a burden and like I shouldn't be here and trying to like hide, like I literally was trying to hide from famous people. Like I don't want anyone to see me. Like, you know, it was very insane. And then having my sets and like having my first set. And at this point I have developed my jokes a lot uh, over the course of the summer is when I it's like another one of those level up comedy moments for me and just growing as a comic and being there and loving my jokes loving my writing and knowing that they hit all the time because they're so structurally sound going to this environment where it's you realize like, but I'm really lucky I'm able to adjust and know what's going on as it's happening and just and adjust set to set but that first set I remember just being taken aback by like these jokes aren't hitting and they're not hitting as hard. You know, it wasn't a bomb, but it wasn't, it wasn't what, like, I have to, there's a certain level I have to perform at, or uh-huh. else I'm just very upset. And um, it could even be a good, people around me, like, that was a great set. I'm like, shut up. No, <laughs> no it wasn't. I get so pissed. Like, and they hate, they hate, like, multiple people can account to this, because I do yeah. it a lot, honestly. I'm like, shut up, it was awful. But now, not anymore, actually, because ever since that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Because I know that ultimately right now, my sets aren't going to always be perfect anymore, because I'm working on something bigger. I'm working on multiple things within my set, new jokes, new, um, new transitions, new, like a ton of new shit. So I don't care if the set doesn't crush because I'm working on something bigger. But anyways, so I go through this first set, doesn't hit. And I remember just being like, so just taken aback and upset with myself. And then knowing I have another set the other night. So I didn't want to like, I wanted to relax and I couldn't relax. My anxiety was on 10 everywhere. I went, there's people everywhere. And it's just like, I, it was just so fucking stressful. I hit my second set of the night and, um, it was fine too. And I was just like, what the fuck, you know, but knowing in the back of my head, knowing what I needed to do, I was like, when you're, I was like, you have to be yourself on stage. And I just couldn't unlock it. I was mm-hmm. so nervous and stressed. I couldn't unlock me. And I knew that's like the key ingredient to selling my set is being myself on stage. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So then by my third set, I actually had a pretty decent set, but it's still every, every time I come on stage, I just felt like it wasn't good enough. But then I would have the validation of like walking around Skankfest, people like, you're so amazing. I loved your set. Like, I'm just like, and in my mind, they're just like, it's this like those old feelings, like they're just being nice, like whatever. But then 
knowing that like I was gaining a ton of like not a ton but like I gained like 40 followers in like however many days with zero promotion on myself literally hiding you know and these are <laughs> these are all non-comedy it was really cool yeah. like I actually gained people who enjoyed my comedy but at the time I was like this isn't good enough you're not funny enough like you're never gonna be great and so finally I was so beside myself at that point and so sad and whatever and then it comes to the day of my last set and the night before I had taken like a small amount of mushrooms. I talk about being sober. I do still do mushrooms and smoke weed every now and again, but not on an dependent level. Um, I do it as like medicine basically to work on my anxiety, um, or get through my problems. And so that day and I, that day I was like, let me take a little bit of mushrooms just to like, I need to figure out what's going on with me yeah. and I need to somehow work through this anxiety. And that's how I use mushrooms. Cause I, every big change in my life uh, or a decision I'm struggling with, mushrooms have always helped me <laughs> and I use them as a therapy. So fuck everyone. If you think I have a problem <laughs> or fuck them, <laughs> they're great. So I take these mushrooms and it wasn't enough to necessarily trip hard, but there was enough for me to be like in my mind and like, decide that comedy is not for me i was like i was walking back to the hotel and i was like damn every plan you had because i'm gonna i i full disclosure i want to move to new york and that's like my new plan and i was like you're not moving to new york you're quitting comedy you're done with this like this is you gave it your all you're at the the highest peak you've been to at nat at this point in your comedy career and you're done like this is it for you and so then that was like Saturday night and then Sunday comes and I'm still just like I got one set left and it's like the last showcase of the night or of the weekend and I was just like you're done like you know just enjoy your last day because this is it for you like mm-hmm. you're never you know and I was kind of it was like this weird like almost letting go of something because I felt like it didn't matter anymore because this was it and um I uh, took my cousins the night before, or two nights, whatever it was, gave me these edibles they had made, and they're, I don't really, they're not, I'm not close to these cousins, but they're great, and um, they saw my set, and they were so, like, whatever, it was actually a good moment, and these are the moments that piss me off that I can't accept them, like, where they're like, you were so great, and then, like, messaged me, like, you deserve to be here, and, like, you, you were, you stood, you stood your ground, and you were on par with everyone, you know, they're being really nice, they don't have to be, because they're not close, you know, they're my close cousins, but anyway, so I take, this edible that they told me wasn't that strong and I am legitimately fucked up for like eight hours and oh, my shit. set is that night and I'm still like fucked up oh, wow. and I have like a huge I'm su- even when I was drinking I have a huge rule about being sober on stage I always have even as like an open micer because it was important for me to be sober and have a clear mind mm-hmm. and so I'm just like fuck and then so then there's like all these like I don't want to do this like you're quitting fuck this set like and I was telling my friend I was like I'm not doing this set I was telling Colton actually I was like Colton oh, I was like fuck this set i'm not doing my set he's like well give me your slot then and then i was like no i'm not getting your slot but i'm not doing this fucking set i'll let you know so it's like 20 minutes before my set and uh this whole time i had been like avoiding all these famous people and like i had these like cute little moments with like they don't they don't know because their names and like they don't they don't remember people like i learned that (laughs) from some other issues um but um you know cool stuff and so i'm in the green room for my set and i'm just thinking about there's like it's like something like all of these things are coming to my brain that i've been like like i think on the sub level been working out the whole weekend and i'm just like sitting there i'm just thinking and no going on stage with no plan i was like i don't know what it was it was just this level of like 
feeling like I was nervous, but I was like, you're going to be okay. Like there's something. And because this is the thing I've been trying to channel, if I could just let go, I knew I would have them. Right. And so, but it was crazy because I'm about to go on stage and I'm like the last, like no name person of the night, everyone else around me, like in the green room, we're like bigger names and whatever. And I'm about to go up and it's like a, it's a showcase where you bring up the next comic, like, you know, and walks in and he's like, I'm going up next. And I was just like, just like, didn't say anything. I was like, all right, whatever. So I go tell the showrunner. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go up next. And so he goes in and then he's talking to Shane. I go in and, and like, I don't even know who Candace is. And I was like, it's me. Hi, I'm Candace. <laughs> he was like, and he was like, well, yeah, you can go up next. I'm like, no, 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 you go next. I don't really care. Like, you know, uh, you go. Like, he's like, no, no, I'll bring you up. And then you bring me up. I was like, no, just go. And he's like, no, you go. And I was like, fine, fine, I'll go. And it's like this really chill moment, like, you know, because I, I have this newfound respect for um, comedy-wise, whatever you guys feel about it, whatever, but because I had never seen him before, and I finally got to see him live for his album recording at Creek in the Cave. I saw him for his first dry run on a Thursday night with my best friend, and that was a crazy whole other thing. That's why I was, I was actually avoiding him all Skankfest because my friend got really fucked up, and she's, like, obsessed with him and his crew and, like, had some crazy fangirl moments, and I had to, like, get her out of the Vulcan. I was so stressed out that, Thanks. like, they remember. They, and, of course, they don't remember me, but, like, in my mind, they're like, she's, yeah. she's a crazy fangirl. I'm like, no, my friend's <laughs> a crazy fangirl. I don't even know who the fuck you are, you know? Anyways, so, um... And so he's like, oh, like, where are you from? And it was like a whole thing. And it was like, cool because I got to be like, oh, I'm from, you know, I'm from Austin. And like, I know he's seen me around. Like, you know what I mean? I wonder if you, I always wonder, like, did you put it together? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> shakes my hand. He's like, I'm from Austin. And he's like, um, you're going to do so great. You're going to kill it up there. And like all this stuff. And I was like, are you doing a bit right now? Because I feel like you're being condescending. He's like, no, no, I'm just really drunk. And I was like, okay, cool. And, um, but it was cool of me to have, like finally just be like, what, you know, because I'm, all, and that's, I don't know, whatever. I'm always myself, which I do appreciate. So I did that. And then, so I go up stage, on stage and I remember like two comics before me. Some comic was like, because again, this festival is very like male driven, uh, kind of like, I wouldn't say, I don't want to mince words, um, but it was, you know, it's like they didn't, weren't really necessarily welcoming of female comics, I would say in a certain way and again please don't mince my words it's a great festival i loved it it was amazing it's one of a kind funnest funnest thing to ever go to so much fun and i was grateful to go so i again don't want to get in trouble (laughs) about this but um and he the comic on stage like two comics before me i was like watching to see what was going on kind of just like trying to get information see what the room was like and he's like some girl did something like some female comic was up there and a lot of comics would do like they would get drunk and fucked up and just like do multi-set like be with each other on stage and just like do weird shit so his girl was like not funny with who's up with him up there with him and he's like give it up for women in comedy just trying their best you know and so it just fucking i don't know what it was it's like this moment of unlock i just hit the stage and all i'd open with is just give it up for women in comedy just trying our best (laughs) you know and then it was like every I don't know what it was. It was like a new bit that I was working on at the time about my sister's bachelorette party, but it has a twist ending about, you know, women suck, but then like women end up being really great by the end of the joke. So I get them with that joke. And then the rest of it though, is just me talking so much shit and just like basically roasting the whole room, roasting individual people. Just like that's like that finally had that said I was capable of like no material, just fucking going. And like, it was the, I thought I could never feel high again from comedy, but I came, I got to, and then I got to announce, and I even, I remember my, at the end of my set, I was like, I'm not even going to do fucking jokes for you guys, you don't deserve them, fuck you, and I was like, you guys ready, whatever, and, um, and, and I still can't listen to the tape now, because I don't want to fuck that moment up for me, because I know what it was, you know what I mean, yeah. and I'm not just 
making it up. Like, because, um, someone texted me the next day and was just like, I want to let you know you rose to the occasion last night. Like that was amazing. So it's like, I know it was cool. Like, you know, (laughs) so, but it was that thing that I just like, I don't know how I did it or whatever, but I unlocked it and it was just the highest moment. And part of me was so sad that I couldn't explain it or share it with anyone because they just couldn't get the fact that I was like in such a dark place and to be from there to like leveling up essentially out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And then ever since then being able to unlock that now on stage where I'm just not afraid anymore. Like nothing is really that scary. Cause I'm like, and so I do a lot of loose sets and shit now, but either way, like then bringing up and just awesome. And just riding that high and just having a night. Everyone wanted to party. It's the last night. And I was like, I'm going to go home. Like, wow. Cherish that moment. Cherish it. I wanted to yeah. bottle it. But yeah, so I don't even know what your question was. But. I don't even know. remember. And I, sadly, we we have to start reaching the end. And there, we haven't talked about a number of things. Okay. But since this is our first episode of 2022, uh, I, think, I think what I would want people to get out of this conversation mm-hmm. is, you know, there's a lot of shit that happens in our lives. And cherishing that moment where you can finally let go where the universe is telling you let Mm -hmm. go that anxiety does not serve you well right and you have to trust yourself Mm -hmm. is a pretty big pretty big lesson yeah but it's it's so easier said than done absolutely i mean look at all the shit you had to go through just to get to that moment yeah i'm cool now yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and there's nothing to say that you won't you won't have those those anxiety feelings lock you up again, because that's that's the roller coaster of life. Yeah, absolutely. And I still, you know, struggle through and stuff. But there is these. The thing that serves me is having moments that I can actually appreciate that are real, that mm-hmm. are based in reality, yeah. versus they used to not be. I went through a lot of therapy for that. Um, and uh, fuck my therapist. Fuck you, Fiona. She goes to me. I hate her. Um, but anyways. <laughs> Uh, that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't have time. No, for we don't that. have time. I'm telling you, my life is fucked. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's either something like ultimately you have to trust yourself. You're the only one, and I think that um, I just don't rely on other people. I think is what the thing is. Like I have these great people in my life, and I value them. I trust them. I love them. But at the end of the day, like I, I have this phrase that I say, and it's really fucked up for a lot of people. But I say it's like a me against the world. Mm. I don't really necessarily feel that way anymore because I realized how lucky I am to have the support system that I have and all these great mentors that I've been lucky enough to have in the scene um, who have helped me grow and learn. But there's this um, certain level of like um, independence that I have to have and that I've, I've, I've only ever been able to rely on myself, but I think this is the first time in my life that I trust myself to rely on myself, yeah. to really believe in that I'm a good person, uh, to believe that I'm capable, that I'm talented, that I'm smart, that, you know, every problem that I can possibly have has a solution. And, um, I am that solution, you know? Um, but it's also okay to ask for help. I think that's the other thing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to end on a bang, but I'm so sorry. My stories are always so long winded and <laughs> I think I might have ADHD and I'm just not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we do have to wrap it up, but I do want you to, to uh, tell us, uh, if you can, briefly. <coughs> you don't do if you can, briefly. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's not your fault. I wish I do this all the time. You should see me in a job interview. I'm surprised I ever get a job. <laughs> How was Banana Phone born? Oh. Well, let's see. 
So um, there was a point in time when Creek in the Cave uh, reached out and asked me to do an open mic. And of course, I have to. I can never do things normal because I don't believe <laughs> in it. Um, I believe in using the tools that have helped me grow as a comic and trying to help like pick others up or like you know reach the hand behind. It's like there's these skills that I've I've been. <laughs> there's these skills that i have and some of the strengths i have are like dealing with hecklers crowd work things like that um and i was fortunate enough to have ariel isaac norman as my mentor one of my first mentors in the scene who let me um who had me intern for her show apprentice for her show um and i got to do the show every month and um it kind of one of those things that really did help unlock that strength i have to like really just be free on stage. And um, I want to do that with a lot of new comics, and there's just not enough spaces or avenues for them yeah. to be able to do that. And so I um, started Banana Phone because they asked me to do a mic, and I was like, well, I want to do it this way. Like, why don't we have a – I'll heckle people, mm-hmm. and it'll be like a thing. And it's been a journey because, again, I started when I was back when I was drunk, and, you know, I had some nights where I I, my, I would just get drunk on the mic, and then who knows what I just like would say or have it. And it was it's a, it's a fun mic. People keep coming, and but now I'm trying to steer it into the way of being more positive. Like I like the vibe of like yes, these are like roasts and stuff, but like let's be creative about it because it's open to audience heckling. But it's like let's be creative, right? It's going to challenge you as a writer, as a comic, to. Um, roast one is a whole different thing but it's also like don't just tell someone they're stupid or like whatever you're a bitch like say something funny about it like you know what i mean like you look like a truck stop fucking hooker like whatever the (laughs) hell you know what i mean like that's even a shitty one because that's such a trope but you know challenging comics on that but also challenging comics to be present on stage because that's the one thing that really helped me over time is to be present on stage right like shut down hecklers be creative like and i can i honestly see the growth of these comics but it's also the level of community like the people who come week to week even though it is kind of like you're not going to get too much material worked out but there's this level of community and fun and just like unpredictability that i don't that i think it's like an untapped resource in comedy where it's like you know like because comedy shows are not always gonna be predictable right. it's like the stuff that happens in between but if you can expose yourself enough to that you become more likely to be able to handle the situations and it's really important for newer comics and younger comics to like really have that resource so that's why i love it that's why i do it and i'm not saying it's perfect there's some people we've had some issues um some like hate speech like some uh like, like some chick from montana came and brought her family and we just tore her apart but it's not you know <laughs> it's just i'm like i'm sorry for it but it's like you have to have tough skin yeah. that's the other thing it does for you but she was like crying after oh, and i've had but you know it's like it's a lot that goes on there and i i really am trying to re especially with sobriety re-navigate the space and make it positive and collective and we are getting there and i i really do love my mic yeah. so that's that Cool. And you're obviously working with Ariel on the Backyard Sluts. Absolutely. Which is a great, great show. Yeah, definitely. All right. You can also cut some stuff. So if there's any other questions, <laughs> I'll keep them short and you can cut all the really long-winded shit. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, uh, we'll figure that out. I hate sound editing, so okay, it, it might all just stay I'm going to kill myself. No, no. No, stop. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just talked about no. I'm not going to do this. Sorry, yeah. i got to stop saying that. I'm not going to, okay? If if you know what I mean, I won't yeah. do it. Um. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm actually gonna uh, wrap up uh, mm-hmm. and say I have one. One more question for you. I'm gonna keep it concise. Well, you have to, because that's the thing. Okay. Pick one word to describe your future. 
God damn it. <laughs> Probably just God she damn it. One word. <laughs> uh, my future. Fuck. Um... I don't know, promising. I, it's like the I, first time I believe in myself. I'm going to, something's going to happen for me. Yeah. I feel, feel good about that. And I don't feel like an asshole for saying that. Like I used to, like I'm, I work really fucking hard and anyone can attest to that. Cause I still mic like crazy and I'm still doing shows, like whatever. And I work my ass off and, you know, I think that hard work pays off and combined with, you know, Natural talent, and um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But truly, I think it's promising. Yeah, uh, I believe it. Thank you. That was a, a misplaced up. It's like, given everything that you've gone through, you being in a place where you can actually believe yourself with saying that word. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, check in with me in a few months. Uh, it's going to be like a uh, shit show. <laughs> like. <laughs> Nah. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Presents. Candace Medina, tell us where we can find you on social media and promote your projects. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow me uh, on Instagram is where I'm doing my most stuff. Don't worry. I'm still like a normal human on there. I'm not like a famous person. So you can see my day to day. And you can follow me at Chunker Nugget. Um, the Nugget has a silent K. So it's C H U N K E R K N. U-G-G-E-T. Um, Facebook, you can find me on there if you're um, like 80 or older. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> some of my notable projects. Um, I'm working on uh, an online show, but that's not to be spoken of yet. It's not ready, but hopefully look out for that. Check out my own Instagram for that. You can follow me uh, in Ariel show at Backyard Sluts, uh, at Backyard Sluts. Um, it is a sex and drug themed <laughs> comedy show with some of the best comedy uh, in the country, and it is the most quintessentially Austin show mm-hmm. um, for comedy, a guaranteed. Um, and also, um, yeah, you can check out my open mic, Banana Phone. I don't have an Instagram for it, but check out my uh, Instagram if you want to check it out, or just come to Heckle Comics uh, as they open mic their material um, and maybe make some people cry. And that one's on Sundays? That's on Sundays at Creek in the Cave at 10 p.m. Should it change, um, just find it on the internet. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, we hope you've enjoyed hearing about how Candace got to be the comedic genius you heard today, just as much as I have. Stop it. No rolling of eyes. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Candace Medina. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Candace. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you, everyone. I love you. Happy 2022. Thank you. Happy 2022. <laughs>